I personally feel that going into a joint venture is a little bit like getting married. So basically what happens in the early stages, you really don't fully know what the other person is like. You have that euphoric honeymoon period, really excited about being in a project together. But then as time goes on, there are things about how the other person operates that really annoy you. And that's just really part of the process. And that's why the preparation is essential and choosing the right partner is really essential too. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Hello, hello, renovators. So we're back with another episode of She Renovates. And today we're going deep into joint ventures. I just wanted to really spend some time on fleshing out the points around doing a successful joint venture because the reality is that just about every renovator will come to a point in their life where they are not able to move forward. And that can be for lots of reasons. Like a really common reason is if you're renovating for profit, you're renovating to sell, and when you get to market, the market's changed. And so the best insurance you have in terms of preserving your profit is to hold the property until the market evens out again. But if that means that you can't move forward, then then it's pretty frustrating, you know, sitting on your hands waiting. So the obvious solution is a joint venture. But the other scenario where I think that they are incredibly powerful is when you have built up your skill and you are competent in your projects, it really does enable you, it gives you the power to really write your own financial future because you're then in a position, once you've proven yourself, you're then in a position that you're able to pull together deals, bring in investors so you're not the one funding it, and then your contribution to the deal is the building the deal and the execution of the deal and the know-how you require to do that. And so it enables you to function regardless of what the rest of your property, you know, is doing. But the other thing is that I personally feel that when you get to that stage, you should not be financing the projects because you spend years building your talent and your skill. And so that places you in a position where you are able to offer that opportunity to participate in a project to someone that's less experienced. So it enables those people to sort of learn on the job and enables you to progress regardless of what other projects you have going on in your life. So that's the context against which we have put together the joint venture intensive and why I'm doing this today because there can be a tendency to be quite flippant about joint ventures. Some people are scared to death of them. Others are quite flippant. And I think the right place to be is somewhere in the middle 
because obviously it's bringing in the complication of other relationships and I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. And so you need to be, I guess, respectful of that in order to make sure that you progress safely. But it's also important that you sort of learn to manage risks so that you're able to enjoy the the advantages that these types of projects give you. So obviously, as I said, a joint venture adds the complication of a relationship to your project. And I have said it a few times, and I think it's important to say it again, I personally feel that going into a joint venture is a little bit like getting married. So basically what happens in the early stages, you really don't fully know what the other person is like, what, you know, what really truly is going on deep down. You have that euphoric honeymoon period, you know, really excited about about being in a project together. But then as time goes on, you do, you know, there are things about what how the other person operates that really annoy you. And that's just really part of the process. And that's why the preparation is essential and choosing the right partner is really essential too because that will make the difference between, you know, it being a really enjoyable and successful experience and not being so enjoyable. So making money is one thing, but like enjoying the process is also equally as important. So it's very important to choose the right partner. And there are lots of things that go into that decision. You know, you consider lots of aspects and it's not just about the money. Obviously, money is a big part of it. Skill is another big part of it. But then I think emotional intelligence is really, really important. You want to know how the person that you are doing a joint venture with reacts under pressure because, you know, Unfortunately, with projects, you can't avoid pressure. You have deadlines, you have stuff you need to do. It's a bit out of your normal day-to-day stuff. So making sure that the pers- the people that you go into a joint venture with have a, a degree of emotional intelligence will make that so much easier. I think the other thing, and we have been through this like many times over the last, say, five or six years trying to perfect the process so it really is a win-win and we minimise the opportunity for conflict. And one of the things that I have come to realise, which I didn't in the beginning, is that that group, it's not a democracy. Not all partners are equal and can be equal. There needs to be a lead person because for lots of reasons but because a lot of decisions need to be made in a timely manner and if you there needs the buck needs to stop with someone so you need to have a lead person and what that means is that person that leads the project is is nominated the leader is the person that's most experienced you do not want that person to be a newbie you need that person to have done a few projects and to have really got some runs on the board so you know that they can deliver a project profitably. And once again, what that means is that the other person or people in the in the joint venture can be people that aren't so experienced but are in there for the learning. 
I have seen when joint ventures are set up as a democracy, people, inexperienced people are trying to force a decision that's going to be detrimental to the project. Yeah, so very important to have an appointed leader. The other thing that I think is important to think about, and by the way, if you do want to chime in and ask a question or make a comment about your experience in joint ventures, please do. The next thing is that you want to keep the numbers to a minimum. Like, you know, I did it, or you may not know, but I did a project last year in, and we had 14 joint venture members, which for me is fine because the buck stopped with me and I had full control of the project. But particularly if you're just getting started, too many cooks spoil the broth. You want to keep the numbers to the bare minimum that you need. If you've just got one money partner and one person leading the project, then, you know, that's the ideal, but sometimes you need more. So just really keeping cognizance of the fact that less is more in this situation. So Sarah says, I haven't done a joint venture as of yet in my Renault history, and this may be jumping ahead a little in perfecting the process. How are you looking at running the next class project in Melbourne around numbers in the group? So Sarah, it definitely won't be a democracy. We're going, it'll run, it'll run in a similar way to how we ran the Newcastle project. So I'm not too fussed about having a big numbers because we're really doing it as a learning, you know, to learn. And so for you to learn and to have that experience without having the worry. And so, yeah, it's slightly different scenario. And I'm assuming you'll be at the event on Sunday and I'll map out how I think it's going to go and we'll take it from there. So roles, really, really important that you have designated roles. For example, quite a few years ago, about 10 years ago, I did a project with my builder and one of the things that I was really sure that I got baked into the agreement was that the design was my responsibility because he and I had done a lot of jobs together as he is my builder, but he had not put the amount of work that I'd put into researching my market, understanding what we needed to do to make money. That was the first thing. And secondly, often like your builders and your trades do stuff that they think is all right, but it's not really that great for the job. And so I wanted to make sure because the design is important that I had control of that. So I got that written into the contract. So it's really, really important that you do that, you know, like who, who does what, who puts what in, what constitutes an expense, what gets charged to the project. All those things are clearly outlined in the partnership agreement or the shareholders agreement. So there are no arguments. And I always think that if you make sure that the the documentation of your agreement of your joint venture is done well, that it sort of wards off problems because you thrash that that all out in the preparation stage. So the next thing is around setting up the legal structure because that's the next part. And So the main thing to know is the legal structure is set up by an accountant. People think that's a lawyer's job and it's not. It's an accountant. So you have to go to your accountant and your accountant will advise you on the best legal structure for the project that you are moving forward with. So you will have decided the strategy and the location and all that and duration, how long it's going to take. 
but that's the next step. So go to the accountant. Then once you've done that and in those conversations around the project, you need to flesh out a whole lot of detail. You know, what happens if someone dies? What happens if someone loses their job? What happens if the project takes longer? You've got to be devil's advocate. And in the early days, when we first started doing this as groups, we used to go to the lawyer together and get the shareholders agreement drawn up together. But, and it wasn't until there was some conflict that the lawyer, who shouldn't have been really condoning that, actually said, oh, actually, I can only represent one person. So the reality is that you need to have your own legal advice. And, but we have developed a bit of an elegant way to do that without it being a major expense on anyone. And I'll be going through that, how we do that on Sunday, so that when you're setting up your legal structure, you're not going to be up for hours and hours at $500 an hour and ending up with a big legal bill. Now, some people do take standard form agreements. Uh, They want to use those. And like I used to say, no, that's a terrible idea. But now what I think is that you would use that as a basis, okay? So you still need to, everyone needs to get independent legal advice, but you use that as a basis for making your decisions. So one of the um, things that you'll discuss is the carving up of the profit. And personally, I think it's really, well, this is common sense, but that the um, that you think about the loss at the same time. So if by chance the project made a loss, then, you know, you might have someone that is funding your project. So you might have a money partner and you might not be putting any more any money in. Now, you've got, I would suggest that if you're planning to go down that path, think about it from the money partner's point of view. And what's it like for them if they're putting in all the money and also taking all the risk? My my way of dealing with that is, is I like to take equivalent amount of risk to profit. So if I'm taking 50% profit, I should be looking at 50% of the risk as well. But yeah, just thinking about taking into account what is going to happen if things don't go pear-shaped. Like, I think in the next breath I'd say do what you need to do to make sure it doesn't go pear shape and that's where we talk about the plan B strategy and, you know, so on. There's lots of things that you can do, but you we do need to be devil's advocate. Like we don't go into these things blindly thinking everything's going to be hunky-dory because that would just be crazy. And so the last point I want to make on this is that, If conflict does happen, I would strongly recommend not going down the legal path because um, nobody wins. You end up, it just frustrates the process unless it's, you know, like there's some, usually it's niggly things like, you know, she said she'd do the admin on this project and whenever I ask her to do anything, she's too busy, this sort of stuff. Um, But I would say suck it up till the end if it's annoying you or get some mediation. But um, if you decide to go down the legal path, it will end in tears. 
So I always talk about the essential ingredient and that's having an open heart because when you are, if a joint venture is enabling you to do a project where you wouldn't normally be able to do it, then you really want to look at, like I know this sounds a bit sucky, but it's so true, like have some gratitude for the opportunity that the joint venture is giving you. And if you can do that, that will make the experience so much more fun and more enjoyable. So, and it will also limit the opportunity, you know, all the reasons for disagreements and it will just make your joint venture experience much more successful. So here we go. So I've got someone that says, how do you find a partner for a JV? I've equity and time, but not much borrowing capacity. Haven't signed up for anything yet, but definitely plan to book a call. So you're going to struggle to find a joint venture partner if you're not able, I'm assuming you're experienced. Maybe you've, if you've got experience and you are able to demonstrate that you can successfully deliver a profitable project, then you will just, you know, go to a whole lot of property groups, build your relationships, build relationships so people know who you are and once they can see what you can do, then, then it becomes easier. Elizabeth, my right-hand girl, often talks about the first time she did a, a joint venture. She was incredibly gutsy. She made a decision that she was going to do a project. She got on her phone and she rang a whole pe- heap of people that she knows and pitched to them. And one of them said yes. And so she went ahead, she did that project. She made for each of them 300, I think it was $340,000 in profit. So so it was a, you know, $700,000 uplift in the deal. And so that was an incredible story of success, but she followed the process. And that's, I think, the important thing. Don't just go out and say, you know, to anyone, you know, I want to, I'm going to do a project you want to JV with me, follow the process, assess everyone, potential partner in the group, make sure that they have the right disposition as well as skills and resources and follow the process so that you minimise the risk for issues. So uh, that's it from me. Have a great day and I'll be back next week. This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.